Let's pray this morning, and uh, as we pray, let's remember uh, a couple of groups that are uh, on the roads this morning. Actually, one in the air and one on the road. Uh, we had some bas- bas- Basque students, I can't talk, uh, here with us last uh, month, uh, and they're on their way back to Spain uh, on via airplane, of course. And then also uh, we have, I think it's today, I can't can keep up, uh, every weekend we have a group of the last several weeks leaving it early on Sunday morning. I think this week is the 5th and 6th graders. I'm not 100% sure. It's either 5th and 6th or 7th and 8th that are taken off for camp. So I think it's 5th and 6th today. We've had camps every week for the last four weeks. I uh, had our children's camp, senior high camp, 7th and 8th grade camp, and 5th and 6th grade. And they've all been going every Sunday. Through, so we have people on the road taking them to camp right now up at Miracle Camp up in Michigan. And so we want to be in prayer for those, uh, our, their students that have been going to that as well and the leaders uh, that will be there this week that will have a, a great time. And we also pray that God will bring fruitfulness too in regard to the Basque ministry as well as we try to build friendships and relationships with these students from the uh, Basque area of Spain and uh, France that uh, have been with us now for the last month. And actually, we've met them several of them for the last four or five years. I got to build relationships with them. So let's pray right now before we look at God's Word. God, we thank you so much for the opportunity of coming together today to worship you. We would pray that you just enable us, God, today to... Uh, to not only understand your word, but to, uh, uh, to apply it to our lives, God, because it's not, we're not simply uh, hearers of the word, as you say in the book of James, but we're to be doers as well. And that's when it may, really makes an impact on our lives. It's not just about knowledge, it's about application of that knowledge, God, in our lives. And so as we continue today to study the book of Ephesians, as we've done this summer, and looking at what Paul has to say to us through this book, uh, uh, this general book that kind of was uh, written as not only to the Ephesians, but to many churches in that region and that day, to help them to understand some basic things about what it means to have our identity in Christ, uh, that we would, uh, in a real sense, uh, once again, not only learn, but do what it says. We also pray for our students that are on the road right now going to camp, that you watch over them, protect them, and also help them this week just to have a great experience with each other of of having a a learning experience, but also an experience of an encounter with you, God, if, if there's some of our students that don't know you, God. Also, God, we pray for the students that are flying back now from, uh, from here, going back home uh, over in Spain, that you would just be with them, guide them, God. Uh, may as we make efforts to plant churches there in the Basque region of Spain, may it uh, produce fruit. And we see, God, that happening already. And so we just ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we're in chapter 4 of, uh, of the book of Ephesians. We've been studying since June. Uh, the 1st of June, the book of Ephesians. We'll finish up the book of Ephesians by the end of August. But uh, I'll just let, give you a heads up. Next week, we'll take a one-week break because what we're going to be doing next week, our FEC convention, our denominational convention, is here in town this uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And uh, one of the people that's going to be here with us, and I've already talked, talked to him months ago, is Steve Nelson, who is, um, who, who is the director of, of, of West African Missions for our denomination uh, as some, many of you know already, I, many, uh, about two and a half years ago, I got the opportunity to go to Africa and uh, experience what it's like <laughs> to live in a mud hut. Okay, that was really a cr- really cool experience. But the reason we were there, the reason that Steve and his wife and a couple other couples are there, is to plant churches among the p- a people group called the Yolanka. And the Yolanka is a group that's un- uh, that really does not know God. They've had little or no witness because they're so, it's kind of out in the middle of nowhere. And, uh, and they're in the country of Mali. Uh, actually, Mali and also across the border in Senegal. And so I've got to know about those countries I know nothing about by traveling there. And so Steve will be with us next week, and I'm going to be interviewing him, bringing us up to date. He was here about three or four years ago and shared with us what was going on then. And that was before we had any missionaries there, before anything was going on, before I'd ever been there and everything like that. And so we're going to talk about what God's been doing in the last three or four years, what he continues to do uh, with our effort as a denomination and us as a church to help plant churches they're amongst these, these tribal uh, villages in Africa as well. And so they'll give us a break, and then we'll get back the next week, back into uh, Ephesians, and finish it up by the end of, uh, in, end of August. So that's kind of where we are. A quick review about where we've been, though, is over the last several weeks. This is week seven of the series. Uh, we've talked about so far, and we've learned in Ephesians several things. One, uh, the first thing that Paul talks about is that we live, li- we live life differently when we understand that our primary identity is to be in Christ. The book of Ephesians is really about finding our identity in Christ. That When you're a Christian, no, no longer do you identify yourself by simply what you do or, or you know, what family you grew up in or whatever, but you identify yourself now as a person who is in Christ. And then Paul fleshes out through the book of Ephesians what that means. 
in a real sense. Uh, we talked about how God pays attention to our life in a sense. He also not only pays attention, so often we're going like, oh, God sees you, you know, like he's like Santa Claus and he sees you when you're bad and good, so be good for goodness sake. You know, it's not what we, you know, uh, you know we, we think about him seeing us when we're bad, but God also, it says, and we learned in the last part of, uh, the last part of uh, chapter one, that God sees us uh, and when we do things that serve him and he sees our obedience and our generosity and our service and our sacrifice and he, and he appreciates that. We talked about how important it is to know, to know that we are appreciated by God as well and how that uh, helps us in our identity as well. We talked also about the, the reason that we do good works or works of service is not so that God would love us because so often in life we get, get this idea that, you know, the reason I'm going to do something for God is I want God to love me. The fact is, and we learned this from Scripture, it's very clear that we don't do stuff for God so God will love us. God loves us regardless of what we do. It's called unconditional love, agape love. And agape love, unconditional love, is love that's not based upon performance. It's based upon a, on a, on a decision that God has made to love us. And then we do good works, though, and when we do them, we do them not because we're trying to get God's love. We do it because we know that he already loves us, and, and, and it frees us to love and serve people by the grace of God. And then we talked about when Another thing, and in week four we talked about when God is present with us through the power of the Holy Spirit, when he's present with different groups that are, that are not reconciled together, that are going through conflict, that God can bring about, whether it be a couple, whether it be a group of people groups that are in conflict or whatever, God can bring about this whole thing of reconciliation in any situation. And he used the term, uh, back then that's when we were introduced to Gentiles and Jews, and uh, Gentiles uh, basically... Jews were one people group, but anybody that wasn't a Jew was a Gentile, and so guess what you are? You know, you're a Gentile, so we talk about that today. Just keep that in mind, because we're going to be talking about two groups today. And then we talked about, in, in week five, we talked about the fact is this. If you're in Christ, you're changed. But you're not, God's not done with, you, done with you. You're still changing if you're in Christ. God has this process. He works in our life. It changes us, and, and that's part of our identity as well. And then last week, we talked about how important it is that when we're in Christ, what happens is it brings us, it draws us together in unity, and we're all going in the same direction. And, and the thing we kind of talked about last week was this. When you get the oneness thing right, everybody being on the same page, it attracts people to God. There's nothing more attractional in regards to us following God, and, and, and especially to non-believers, than then seeing a bunch of people who are totally different in their backgrounds and, in, and who they are drawn together for one single purpose. People do that, and they understand it. So that's what we've covered over the last six weeks, okay? Uh, and now we're today in week seven, and uh, we come to an interesting passage in, in, chapter, in chapter four, and we're looking at verse, beginning with verse 17. Uh, he talks about this, and he compares and contrasts two groups of people. First of all, he says this, he says, Paul says, and I'll give you the heading and I'll read the scripture. He says this, the first part we're going to look at today, he says, stop acting like an ignorant Gentile. That's what he says, okay, I didn't make that up. That's what it says in scripture, quit, quit acting like an ignorant Gentile, okay? Ignorant, now, now, I don't know how you pronounce the word ignorant, okay? I grew up in my grandma's from Hillsville, Virginia, okay? And uh, in Hillsville, Virginia, um, uh, they don't say ignorant, they say ignorant, Okay? So if you're, if you're, uh, she, my grandma would look at me and say, Bill, or she called me Billy, uh, Billy, quit being so ignorant. Act like a, you know, you know, she'd give me some reason to act like something. And so she'd say stuff like that. So however you say the word, you know, ignorant or ignorant, okay, that's what we're going to talk about today. And this is what it says as we begin to read in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 18. It says this, and we'll talk about it a little bit. Uh, so I tell you this, Paul says, and insist on it in the Lord, once again, our identity is in Christ, that you must no longer, now keep that in mind, must no longer, if you're in Christ, no longer live as the Gentiles do. And once again, who's Gentiles? Anybody that's not a Jew, okay? No longer live that way. He kind of groups everybody together here, okay? And he says, as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of what? Because of, their, of the ignorance, there's that word, that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Now what he says, and I, and I pulled out of this, the, first, the first part of this verse here, these, these two verses here is this. He gives some marks of what it is to be ignorant, okay? 
What are some marks of ignorance? Number one, he says it's confused thinking. Confused thinking. He says, and he says this in uh, verse 17, and, and, and we read it in NIV, the, the verse I had on, in your outline and on the screen. But let me read it to you in the uh, NLT version, New Living Translation. It says this, With the Lord's authority, let me say this, Live no longer as the ungodly do. He doesn't call them Gentiles. For they are hopelessly confused. Hopelessly confused. I don't know about you guys, but we live in a culture that so often confuses us. We, we don't get all the facts so often. Or we'll have people that have strong opinions, and they'll get on TV and st- stress these strong opinions, and what happens is sometimes we believe that they're true, and we have this, this, this problem. We have such an over... over uh, 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 too much, too much, too many things going, going at us, and so we have all these different opinions. Everybody has an opinion nowadays, right? And, and so often what happens, it leads to confused thinking. I, I remember a few years ago, and it, it happens particularly when people on TV who are power-powered people bring people on and they become authorities on everything. A few years ago, I don't know how many of you watched Oprah. Don't raise your hands. Okay. Okay, God will forgive you if you watched Oprah. Okay. Um, it's not the unpardonable sin. Okay. But a few years ago on Oprah, she had all kinds of things. But anytime Oprah would have on people, uh, particularly, you know, you know how many people got their start on Oprah? Dr. Phil, uh, Dr. Oz, all these different people got their own TV shows. So I'm like, why couldn't I have been on Oprah and got my own TV show, you know? But the deal is, no, it didn't happen. But, but so often she would, she would promote certain things and they would just go viral. And one of the things she promoted back in, I think it was 2007-ish time, time frame, is she had on for two weeks in a row, she had, or two episodes in a row, she had on uh, this person who was, had, had written a book and had a DVD. It was called The Secret. Y'all remember The Secret? Maybe you read The Secret. It was very, it was very deep, you know. Anyway, she had this, uh, she had this it, was, it was a book that was based upon a DVD that had been written or produced as well. And, and, and after, let me just tell you something I was reading. It says, after being featured in two episodes of the Oprah Winfrey Show, they, the book reached, the book The Secret, reached the top of the New York Times bestseller list where it remained for 146 consecutive weeks. That's a long time to be number one bestseller, okay? The book has been translated into 44 languages and is, has over 21 million copies in print. Thanks in part to the appearance on the Oprah TV show, the book and the film have grossed $300 million in sales, Three hundred million. That's in, that's in 2009. Okay, that's that was after it went through its big heyday, and so I went on the website. I didn't read the secret, but I went on their website just to see what was the big deal. Why were people buying this book? Why were people so excited about this book and this DVD? Well, it's what it says. On the website, it says this. This is the website, thesecret.com. The secret has been passed down through the ages, coveted, hidden, lost, stolen, bought for vast sums of money. And no, it sounds pretty dramatic, doesn't it? And, and known for, uh, by some of the most exceptional people who ever lived. Plato, Galileo, Da Vinci, Beethoven, Edison, and Einstein, to name but a few. Let's just drop a few names. Um, the secret book reveals how you can change every aspect of your life. You can turn any weakness, any, underline, weakness or suffering into strength, power, unlimited abundance, health, and joy. Everything is possible. Nothing is impossible. You you hear the extremes here. Uh, There are no limits. Whatever you can dream of can be yours when you use the secret. That's why people went out and bought the book, because people want to turn all this stuff that way, right? Sounds good. The author, and and I went online just to read, you can go on Amazon or whatever and read the first chapter or two of a book, and so I went online and actually read that this week, and and, and, and in the third or fourth page, I don't remember exactly, of the secret, she gives us, the author gives us the secret. And the secret, she says, is this. She calls it the law of attraction. Basically, what the law of attraction is, she says, is this. Whatever I want in life, if I want it enough, I'll get it. So the secret is, I just have to want things really, really bad. And I'll get it. And I'm thinking, that's cool. You know, I, I, my wife accuses me of, I watch golf on TV. I mean, any of you all watch golf on TV? Maybe you sleep through golf on TV. Okay, my wife says, usually on Sunday afternoons, I watch golf on TV because it's so relaxing. You know, they talk really low. And it's, and, you know, it's everything like that, you know. But I love it, and I'm thinking about it. But I also do it because I love to play golf. I love to play golf. 
And so when I play golf, I love it because, man, you go to these places that are beautifully manicured courses. It's beautiful to go out and walk on a course or even ride a cart on a course. It's just gorgeous place to go. And I've always thought, man, you know, it would be such a great lifestyle to be a professional golfer. And so according to the secret, <laughs> I can do it. I just have to want it bad enough. Do any of you believe here, any of you who played golf with me believe that I could be a professional golfer? <laughs> Even if you don't ever play golf with me, to understand the reality is, hey guys, you know, I, I mean, I like to play golf. You know, I play like nine holes a week, maybe a little bit more occasionally. It's not going to happen. No matter how much I want it to happen, no matter how much I try, it's not going to happen. But that's what this book, The Secret, was all about. You know what I call the book The Secret? It's hogwash. It doesn't work. You, I don't care how hard you want to do something. You can't, you know, you, sometimes you just can't make it, uh, make it work. The only problem with The Secret is that. And, and let me give you a quote from one of the people that was a contributor to The Secret. A guy named Neil Donald Walsh. I don't know who he is. And he says this, There is no blackboard in the sky in which God has written your purpose, your mission in life. Your purpose is what you say it is. Your mission is the mission you give yourself. Your life will be what you create it as, and no one will stand in judgment of it now or ever. Wow. What a bunch of garbage. Because people are constantly standing in, in judgment of what you do, and you just can't do anything you want to do. The, the reality is, we've talked about this many, many times, God has given us a purpose in life. He gives us our purpose in life. All of us have a purpose in life, and he's given us to us, and we understand what that purpose is by understanding what our spiritual gifts are, what our passions are, what our abilities are, what our personality is, and, and what the experiences we've been through. All those together, we call it shape. All those things together, what they do is they allow us to begin to see how God has shaped us. And so young people, if you're trying to figure out what God wants you to do, look at your shape and figure out what God, you know, if, <laughs> if you want to be a professional golfer, you've got to be able to play golf real well. Okay, at least have that ability to start with. And you probably have to be young, a lot younger than I am too, okay, to be able to consider that as a, as a lifestyle. But anyway, that's the thing. is, So we have this confused thinking, he says. The problem, uh, the problem with that book and the problem with this here is that the, secret is, the problem with the secret is that it reflects a philosophy throughout society. That no one can tell me what I, what I do. And this is what Paul, Paul says here. He says, he says, do not be, if you're in Christ... Do not be like the ignorant Gentiles who are confused in their thinking and go off anywhere they want to. He says, don't do that. And the first, the first problem with that is it gives us confused thinking. The second thing he talks about, though, is in verse 18. He says, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. He, says it, he calls it darkened understanding. I've had conversations with people many, many times, and so often what they, their conversations are about because they find out I'm a pastor, and I don't usually tell people about that <laughs> unless, unless they, I don't do it because they'll start taking conversations in weird directions, you know, really weird directions. They'll, they'll start confessing things to me like they're, they're a priest or something. I'm not a priest, okay? Uh, I, I, you know, so the thing is that I just don't do that. But when I do have conversations with people, they'll start asking me these weird questions and they have all these excuses for everything. And really it's based upon a lot of stuff of, of I call it darkened understanding of what things are going on. I have never, ever argued anyone into the kingdom of God because so often what it is, they have all these things. And I tell you, over the years, I've had people in my office even who come to Great Oaks and they come in and say, well, I'm exploring this whole thing about God and, you know, I'm not really sure about it because of this. And they'll give me like, because of the reality of suffering and evil in the world or, you know, they'll go through all these different things. And so they have this, this understanding. And really, the, the problem is, is their, their, their understanding is clouded by sometimes uh, facts that just aren't true. Facts that just aren't true. It's kind of like years ago, a few years ago, y'all know who, anybody knows who James Cameron is? James Cameron. Ever heard of the name? Movie, movie producer, director. Uh, what did he produce? Anybody tell me? This is a test. Huh? Titanic? The Abyss? Avatar is the last one. I thought, well, maybe he's had one since then. That's the last one I saw. Okay. Okay. So all these different ones. Okay. So he had all these different things he's done. James Cameron. Well, a few years ago, James Cameron, because he'd, he'd uh, directed movies and he was, you know, that means you're an authority on everything, right? Because you've directed a movie, you know? So he decides to do this documentary. And he was on, I think it was on PBS or the Learning Channel or somewhere like that. And, 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 the, and the documentary was called The Lost Tomb of Jesus. 
I don't know if you saw it, I like to watch documentaries because sometimes they have some facts in them and sometimes they don't, but they're always interesting. And the lost tomb of Jesus, James Cameron said, he had his authority supposedly who came there and they said what, had, what happened, this, this whole thing was about what they called a bone box. And a bone box in, in Jewish culture, a bone box is a place where they would do a thing called reburial and when they, they, they would uh, bury somebody during a period of time, it was about 20 uh, 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 A.D. to to 70 A.D., during this period of time, for some reason, they would bury people in these kind of open crypt tombs, and they have a shelf, and they put the body on there. It's kind of like when you see the pictures of Jesus being buried that way. And, and they would leave the body there until it deteriorated to the point that all that was left is bones. And then what they would do, would have this clay kind of box thing. It's kind of a big thing. And they would put the bones in there. And sometimes they put bones of multiple people in the box, family members and things like that in the box. And this would be a year or two years down the road. And then they would rebury those bones in this bone box. Well, what has happened over the years is archaeologists and others, uh, and builders have, have opened up new places in an area where these bone boxes are. They've discovered bone boxes. And, and so this whole, this whole, uh, <laughs> this whole uh, docu documentary was about them discovering this one bone box that had the name Jesus on it. It also had, another one had a name Mary, and it was, it was kind of a, a derivation of Mary Magdalene, and another one, and, and basically the, the whole premise of the show was, we can prove because we found these bones that Jesus and Mary Magdalene was married and they had a son named Judah. Never, never, and then they just totally tried to disprove the resurrection, everything about Jesus, so forth and so on. And they said this. The problem with that documentary, I found out later after reading some things about it, is it was pure speculation and hardly no facts whatsoever. The reality is, is the name, they didn't tell you this, the reality is in the same area where they found this one bone box, they found multiple bone boxes with the name Jesus on it. Because the name Jesus in that day was the name just was common as John or Dan or Bob, you know? So it was everywhere. It wasn't, it was Jesus Christ. It wasn't necessarily that Jesus. It was, it was, could be any Jesus. And plus they said they had DNA evidence. Well, the thing is, is that Archaeologists that the, discover these bone boxes that they said, they, what they did in Jewish culture, as soon as they would discover these, dig them up for some reason or whatever, they, because of reverence for the bones, they would rebury the bones immediately. So the DNA evidence came out of, literally, came out of just some residue that was left in a bone box, which kind of proved that they were kind of related to people there, but it didn't prove really anything. But James Cameron, because of his, because of his you know, people knew who he was, a lot of people believed that. And it led them to darken the understanding. It led them away from God. It pushed them in a different direction. So often, things like that happen. We, we, we understand things are, we think things are true, and we accept things as true that are false. And Paul says, you know, hey, don't act like an ignorant Gentile and do that. Go forward and, and, and accept Christ, and believe in what God is, what the truth is. And then he says, the third thing, this is really short, the third thing he says, he says, uh, the third um, mark of, a, of an ignorant thinking is a hard heart, a hard heart. The last part of verse 18 says this, They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. And then he says, and due to the hardening of their hearts. Now we use this term a lot, you know, somebody has a hard heart. What does a hard heart look like? A hard heart basically is described in this way. It's somebody who says, you know, a lot of us think our teenagers think that way, you know. They, they just kind of like, yeah, I see people pointing at their teenagers right now. You know, like, they're, we call them hard heads, you know, or hard, you know, whatever. But the thing is, is that you can't tell me anything. You know, I don't care what you say. I know what I know. And I'm not going to believe anything because I've decided that I'm the authority in all things. Okay? I mean, you don't have to be a teenager to believe that way. You can be anybody to believe that way, and all of adults that believe the same way. But the reality is, he said, that's one of the, that's one of the marks of, a heart, uh, uh, of, a, of, ignorant, of ignorant thinking. He says, don't be that way. Don't be that way. And then he kind of gives it the next verse, verse 19. Let's look at that. He gives what he call, I call the results of ignorance, the things that come out of this, of, 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 the, of ignorant thinking. Uh, verse 19 says this. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as not to indulge in every kind of impurity with the continual lust for more. Now he says three things here in this verse. He says, I think, that are results of ignorance. First of all, he says they've lost all sensitivity. They have lost sensitivity. It's kind of like the law of diminishing returns. You know what that is? The law of diminishing returns? Let me describe it to you in this way. A few years ago, there was a guy named Daniel Gilbert that wrote a book called Stumbling on Happiness. 
And in the book, he quotes it this way. He says this, Among life's cruelest truths is this one. Wonderful things that are especially wonderful the first time they happen, but their wonderfulness wanes with repetition. When we have an experience on successive occasions, we quickly begin to adapt to it, and the experience yields less pleasure each time. He's saying we lose the sensitivity to to things. It it, it takes more and more to get the same feeling. It's kind of like this, people that that have a problem with gambling. Gamblers, you know, it's one thing to gamble small bits on a regular basis, but people that are addicted to gambling, what do they do? The wagers have to be bigger and bigger and bigger for them to get the same thrill. It just grows and grows and grows because that $1 or $2 bid or, 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 or bet or whatever it is before, it's no longer, it doesn't thrill you anymore. People, people that, that, that have a problem with alcohol, I mean, you know, they start off and they say, you know, like, you know, I, I can drink, I can control it. And what happens is, is after a while, what happens is it becomes something they have to do more of and more often of, and it becomes more and more to get the same rush. Those of you who are shoppers, you're going like, that's not a problem, right? Well, it is if you have to you know, go out and spend more and more money to get the same thrill that you had before because shopping gives you a rush. I don't understand that, but some of you know, know that, you know? Uh, and, and something more serious than that, I don't think all of them are serious, is one of the biggest problems in our culture today with men, you know what it is? Pornography. Pornography. And, and, you know, and, and the problem with it is... is it, it could cause lots of problems, but one of it is uh, soft, people usually start with softcore pornography. But after a while, its attraction becomes less and less, and because you get a hardcore, we lose our sensitivity. And so he's saying that, you know, when we, when we follow the, this ignorant thinking pattern, Paul says, what happens is, is we lose sensitivity. Number two, he says, we have lack of shame. He says, they've given themselves over to sensuality as to indulge in every kind of impurity. Lack of shame. You know, um, I discovered that either the world's changing or I'm getting old. I think, it both, I think they're both true, you know? Because there are some things, there are some things that I just have never, wouldn't say in mixed company. You know, you know what I'm talking about, guys? You know, maybe women do the same thing, I don't know, you know? But certain things you just don't say in mixed company. And now, I mean, nowadays, some of the things I would not say in mixed company become slogans on t-shirts that 13-year-old girls wear. It's ch- we have lack of shame. We just put it out there. Just do it. And so we change. And say, Paul's saying, he says, we have given ourselves over to sensualities to indulge in every kind of impurity. We just lose our lack of, we have no shame in our culture as it is, and it becomes worse and worse and worse all the time. And then finally, he says also, he says this, the last part of the verse, he says, we have no satisfaction. Paul calls it a continual lust for more. The more we get, the more we want. There is no end, and we continually buy into this carousel of wanting more and more and more, and we're never satisfied. There's no satisfaction in life in what we're doing. He says that is the result. Those are the results of this ignorant thinking uh, when our minds clouded and not focused upon God doing things in our life. He says that, and then he turns around. So let's look at the positive part, okay? He said, don't look, don't, don't, don't think like an, you know, act like an ignorant Gentile. Start acting, he says, like a wise, a wise Christ follower. Verses 20 through 24 talk about this, and we're going to look at that just briefly this morning. It says in the verse 20, 20 through 24, you, however, he says, did not come to know Christ that way. Remember, once again, who's he talking to? This letter is to Christians. This letter is to people who are followers of Christ. So he just, all the stuff he just said about don't think about ignorant people can happen in our lives if we, don't, if we allow it to. He says, you did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him accordance, in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. What he's saying here is this. He says, as a believer... A follower of Christ, we cannot live like the Gentiles. We cannot live like we used to be. Once again, when you're, we looked at this already in Ephesians, and Paul said this very clearly. When you become a believer in Christ, in Christ, you are changed. And you are changing. And so he kind of points out in these verses, uh, I, I call them five questions or five things that kind of 
mark the life of a believer, that should mark the life of a believer. The first one is this, and it's in, it's in um, verses 20 and 21. And, and in a new, another translation in the King James, uh, the New King James translation, it says, But you have not learned, you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus. The first mark, he says, in a sense, is this Do you know the truth? The life, uh, life of a believer is marked by the truth. Now, there's two kinds of truths, I believe, in life. There's little t truths and there's big t truths, okay? Little t truths are things that are just like we know. Uh, gravity. How many of you believe in gravity? Uh, if you don't raise your hand, you're messed up. Okay. Uh, the reality is, you know, I mean, just go out and try to, you know, just, just go jump off the balcony or, you know, uh, go find a mountain. You have to go to somewhere else to do that. But, you know, you know jump off of it, you know, and see if the gravity, gravity is a reality. How about um, another one is this. Uh, another uh, small t truth is that the earth rotates around the sun and the sun will come up in the morning and set at night. Regardless of where you are and where you live, it's going to happen that way. It comes up at different times and sets at different times, right? I mean, that's a small t truth. Another small t truth is this. Um, the Cubs will choke at some time during the baseball season. <laughs> that true? Yeah, yeah. It's small t truth. Almost... Seems to always come true. I had to say that just to see if you're awake. But anyway, um, but there's a big T truth as well. And Jesus is the big T truth. What does that mean? It means that the more, when you know Jesus, and he is the truth because Jesus says, I am the truth, the life and the way. He says, when you know Jesus and you follow Jesus and you're in Christ, he says, what it means is that more money doesn't lead to happiness, it's knowing Jesus that leads to happiness. More success doesn't lead to acceptance, but knowing Jesus does. So the fact, what Paul is saying here for the believer is this. The question is, do you know the truth? And the truth is not a bunch of facts about Jesus. Do you know him personally? Do you know him personally? The question, I, in a sense, that raises in my mind is this, that Paul is asking, if you're really a follower of Christ, you're in Christ, is there a specific time in your life when you went from knowing about Jesus to knowing him personally? Because there's a huge difference. I mean, I know a lot of things about a lot of people, facts about them. You know, like I told you, I love golf, and, and I'd love to go, you know, I know a lot of facts about Tiger Woods. I don't know Tiger Woods personally. If I showed up at his house today, oh, he's probably playing a golf tournament, by the way. If I showed up at his house today, though, and knocked on the door and said, Tiger, I'm so-and-so, I know all these facts about you, what do you think his response would be? Who are you and get out of my house, okay? Because I know facts about him. But that's, see, we can know a lot of facts about Jesus, but knowing him personally means we have a relationship with him. And it, with Jesus, it means because he is the, the God of the universe, it means that it, 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 the direction that we go is toward him, not him toward us in regards to knowledge and understanding and following. He's not an equal friend. He's, he's, he's a friend that is the perfect friend in our life as well who's done everything for us. And so... Do you know Jesus personally? And so do you know the truth? That's the first thing Paul asks. Another thing that Paul kind of asks here as well when he talks about this whole thing that, you know, you're taught in him according to the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. He asks this question. What parts of the old you are still around? He says if you're in Christ, there's some parts of the old you that need to be gotten rid of. Uh, in Colossians 3, 5, and this is kind of a, a complimentary uh, letter that he wrote to the Colossian church that has some of the same things that he says in Ephesians. It says in verse five, uh, chapter 3, verse 5 of Colossians, he says, So put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual sin, impurity, lust, and shameful desires. Don't be greedy for the good things of this life, for that is idolatry. So often we think when we come to the Christian life, it's just it's fine and dandy that all we have to do is just kind of come to God, say, I want to follow you, and kind of then kind of like say, well, over the next rest of my life, I'm going to do my best to kind of like, you know, change things and, and work toward Christ, and someday I'll be, you know. Well, in the Greek here, in the Greek here, this is not describing, it says, put to death the sinful earthly things. This is not describing a gradual process. This is describing a once-for-all thing he's talking about. But what happens in reality in most of our lives is that we put to death the old me, but we hold on to parts. We hold on to parts. So I was trying to think of a new way to illustrate this, and this is kind of a weird illustration that I came up with, but um, um, it's kind of like this. <coughs> we have a, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> we have a favorite Uncle Tony, okay? You have a favorite Uncle Tony. 
Uncle Tony has always been your favorite uncle. <clears throat> and he dies. And um, after a period of time, after he's dead for a while, you're going, man, am I missing Uncle Tony so much. I just want to be, I just want him to be near me. So you go out and you dig up Uncle Tony. And you snap off a leg. And you bring Uncle Tony's leg home and you, ha and ha you hang out with Uncle Tony's leg because yeah, I just want to be close, close to Uncle Tony because he's always so important to me. That's disgusting, right? That's sick. Yeah, it's sick. It is. It's sick. But in a sense, that's what we do when we hold on to parts of our old life because the Bible describes them as what? Be dead. They're dead. Be dead to your old self. They're like dead parts. It's like hanging out with Uncle Tony. Uncle Tony's not on the shelf in a, in a vase. Uncle Tony's leg is still there, you know, with us and all the time. You know, he goes everywhere with us. You know, he's saying that we should be dead to, to certain things in our life. And so Paul is asking, in a sense, what part of your old life is still hanging around? And in a minute, he asks another question that kind of says why that's important. What part of your old life is still hanging around? Maybe, maybe it could be anything. When you become a believer, he's saying there's things in your life that no longer need to be hanging around. If it's pornography, guys, get rid of the pornography. If it's, if, if it's sleeping with someone you're not married to, and I've heard this all, but we love each other. It's not what Scripture says, that the right kind of relationship should be. You know, maybe it's, you know, maybe, maybe you're going like, well, I'm a Christian now, but I still like my old friends, and I'm going to hang out with them, even though they've dragged me down and and, you know, and we go out and get drunk together, you know? No. Maybe there are drugs you're addicted to to anesthetize your life. Maybe you're abusing your body with food. You know, that, you know, that could be a problem when you're Christian, not a Christian. The Bible calls it gluttony. Maybe it's anger or lying or gossip. What's the one thing that you're hanging on to, Paul's saying here? Because he says, live like a wise Christ follower. He says, wise Christ followers get rid of the junk from their past. And you know what I found out the best way to get rid of things? It's just to get rid of them. I mean, how many of you ever done this? Uh, how many of you, you know, you, you're looking at your house or room in your house, let's say your garage. You're going like, you know, I really need to clean out my garage. And so you decide to do that. And what you do is you pull out all the stuff out of the garage. And you're going like, you know, as you start to get rid of stuff, you're going like, you know, I really need, I might need that five years down the road or something like that. And when you finish up this cleaning project with your garage, what happens? You still hang on to all the old stuff. And they're just reorganizing different boxes. And you still can't fill your car in there. Right? Some of you have done that. I found a few years ago, I used to do that. I, I like kind of neatness, you know. And so a few years ago, I was always asking myself, why has my office got so much junk in it? And this was back before all everything was electronic even, even here a few years ago. And I'm going like, you know, I just got to be more radical about this. And so a few years ago, I decided to start, when we moved into this building, I had a brand new office. Everything was brand new. And I'm going like, you know, I, that's not the way I'm going to clean up things anymore. So every time now, at least once a year, what I do is I bring a large trash can into my office. I mean, I'm talking about a, tra I'm talking about a trash can. And so what I do is the, the staff will look at me like, what are you doing? And I'll have stuff, and I, I fill up, I, I can't, can't believe how much junk that I can accumulate. I mean, good stuff, you know, magazines and articles and stuff like that that are sent to me all the time. And I'll throw away almost half a garbage can or a garbage can through it once a year. But man, when it's done, it's done. It's cleaned up. It's out of the way. I don't have to, you go like, well, you might use it. Well, and you know, if I, if, if I need it, I figure out, I'll figure out some way to get it. We just need to get rid of some stuff in our life. That's what Paul's talking about. Because he says the reason that we, we need to make some radical changes in our life, and the reason Paul says that, he says if we don't make these radical changes, this is what he says. He says in verse 22, he says, then the old self becomes worse because people are fooled by the evil things they want to do. He says, he's asking this question, if you don't get rid of the old stuff, what's going to happen? What old, what old desires still corrupt you? You'll find yourself still going down the same path you went before because you still got the junk. You still got Uncle Tony's leg hanging around. And you ask yourself, why can't I change things? But we still hang out with the same people. We still do the same things. We still go to the same internet pages. We do all those different things. And we ask, why can't we get rid of the stuff? I mean, we may want to. But you've got to make some changes.
Then he shifts his gear, the very last couple of verses, he shifts gears here. And, and Paul, Paul talks about, uh, at the end here, he talks a little bit about this whole thing. He says, uh, being corrupted, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And then, in ver- and then he says this. He says, and now some of you are feeling good about yourself so far because you're going like, I don't have any of these problems. I'm glad to pass around and talk about me today. Because, you know, I don't have a problem with this and this and this. None of those things he talked about because I just live this righteous and holy life. Well, the reality is, let me explain something what Paul says. He says, not only do we need to eliminate some things from our life if we're in Christ, but he says we need to add some things into our life. And he says this, he says this in the last part there, but then he also says it, Paul says also in Romans 12 too, and he says it this way, he says, do not change yourselves to be like the people of this world, but be changed within, uh, by a new way of thinking that you will be able to decide what God wants for you and you will know what is good and pleasing to him and what is perfect. He says, how are you being made new in the attitude of your mind? He says, you know, you need to eliminate some things, you need to add some things. How are you being made new in the attitude of your mind? I've heard people say before that some Christians are brainwashed. And I thought about that for a while. And I was thinking, you know, they're right. Christians are brainwashed. You know why? I I just thought about me. This is not about you. This is about me. Um, My brain needs to be washed. Regularly. Because I live in a world that doesn't encourage me to think godly thoughts or to do godly things. And the difference between me and other people is that I choose who washes my brain. In fact, I'm very intentional about it. Now, here's, let me give you three things that I use to wash my brain. Number one, I wash my brain by what I read. By what I read. Folks, you can read. I read a lot. I read three and four books at the same time. I'm an avid reader. I'm reading books for, you know, sermon series, you know, commentaries. You know, you're so excited. It's so excited to read a commentary, you know. I'm reading different things. I'm reading, I'm reading books on leadership all the time because that's one of the primary things that I do. I'm also reading, I always still read books for pleasure. I love a good novel. I love, you know, and it doesn't have to be necessarily a Christian novel, but it needs to be something that's not going to corrupt my mind, you know? And the thing is, is so often, I, I, some people, occasionally some people intentionally, good intentionally, will say, hey, Pastor Bill, you know, you read, read this whole series. How about this guy? And, I, and I'll read it and I'll pick it up and go, Whoa, I don't like the language in that one. You know, the first five pages, and they, you know, they, I mean, it's just, I know it's going in the wrong direction when it starts off that way. So I wash my brain with what I read. I try to read things that encourage me generally and, and gr- help me to grow and, and go in the right direction. Also, I wash, wash my brain with what I watch, with what I watch. Now, I'm not legalistic about this, okay? I mean, when a Victoria's Secret commercial comes on the TV, I don't run from the room going, evil, evil, you know? What I simply do, and I don't really need to look at that, okay? Because I want to be, you know, not think those thoughts. So the reality is what I do is I just simply look away or look, you know, probably nobody in the room would even know what's going on. But the reality is I just, I just do that because I don't want that. Because even on TV now, things have changed drastically and what I watch. And so I try to watch things that are in, encouraging and, 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 you know, and I, let me tell you, to be honest with you, I very rarely go to an R-rated movie. Very rarely. Because the reality is, is most of it is stuff that is not going to encourage me too much. Especially the ones that have sexual content and other things like that. Sometimes the violence ones, that's the only ones I've ever been to. And, um, and so the thing is, is you've got to ask yourself, what are you going to watch? Also, I wash my brain with what I listen to, with what I listen to. I love music. Man, I love music. I listen to music all the time. Now, I'm not saying, on my playlist, even on my iPad here, or on my uh, iPod uh, Nano, I can't think what it's called. I, anyway, I got a little thing that you play music on. When I'm out, not running, walking now, okay? Fast walking, by the way. Uh, when I do that, I'm listening to music, you know? In the, the, if you look at my playlist, most of my stuff is encouraging Christian music, but I also have on there some good, good stuff. I have Eagles, Doobie Brothers, you know, stuff I listened to when I was a teenager. You know, the really good music from the 70s, you know? Stuff like that. The other day I was, listening, I was mowing grass and listening to Journey, you know? You can mow grass really fast when you're listening to Journey, you know? 
I pedal to the metal. I was going full speed, you know. But the reality is it was, you know, there's certain songs that I just don't listen to. There's a lot of stuff in our culture today you just don't want to put in your, in your head, in your mind. So what you listen, also listen to things, you know, and, and God also speaks my love language in regards to this other issue. It's podcast. You know why I love to listen to podcasts? Because my love language is cheap. You know, I love cheap. And podcasts generally are free. Okay, so I can listen to a ton of stuff. Leadership podcasts and church podcasts. Podcasts are an interesting thing. Now, I listen to that, and my wife, she listens, she, she listens to stuff too, but she doesn't listen to stuff I listen to. She you don't have to be exactly like me, because my wife's into nutrition and health, and so all the time she has her headphones on, I'm home and she's doing stuff around the kitchen, and what she's listening to, she's listening to health and nutrition podcasts. I mean, I'd just rather slit my throat than what, listen to those things, but... <laughs> But it's uplifted and encouraging because she's listening to how to, you know, how to maintain God's temple in a better way. And it'll be from all kinds of different people who talk about those things. And, and, but that's her because it's encouraging, you know. She doesn't listen to junk. Generally, I listen to things, I read things, and I watch things that help me to grow. And that's what Paul's saying, how you be made new in the attitude of your mind. And then finally, he concludes it by saying this. What does the new you, you still need to put on? What does the new you still need to put on? Say there's some things you need to put on. Not only, not only is it enough for me to stop old stuff and to be renewed in my mind, but I've added some things into my life too over the years that are consistently there that help me to be connected with God and to grow, to be renewed. And let me share with you three things that I found in my own life that's hugely important. Number one, accountability part, people. For, I, I've shared this before, but for the last 20 plus years, I've had a, another man in my life who is a mature believer who I meet with on a regular basis, usually weekly, who challenges me in my spiritual growth, who looks at me and says, Bill, how you, how's, it, how's your relationship with your wife, with your kids? How's your, how, are you ever angry about stuff? Uh, uh, you know, what do you, you know how's, it, how's it going with, with and we'll go through this whole list of stuff. I've had that for 20 years. I think it's hugely important to have somebody who's an accountability person and mentors in your life. I don't care how old you are and what you do. All of us need that. Number two, small groups. Um, 20 plus years, my wife and I have been involved in small groups, sometimes together, sometimes separately. Right now, she goes to one group, I go to another group. But the reality is, is we have small groups. Why? Because the groups that I've been a part of, and, and generally what we try to focus upon, is encouraging and challenging one another. The Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, we need people to be connected with, who we study God's word with together, and in a real sense, we're challenged together to grow. Hugely, I need to put that, I put that onto my life. That's not something I did before I was a believer, but, I, but now I do. And then another thing which may be surprising uh, that I found that's hugely important is serving opportunities. Serving opportunities. Let me, let, me, let me just share this. You know, when I went to Africa a few years ago, I always knew that people lived differently than me. <laughs> you don't have to go to Africa to find this out. You can go down the road here just a little, little ways and do that. But when I was there, and I was out in, in, in the middle of Mali in the bush, there was no running water, no electricity, and, uh, you know, and we eating out of a common bowl and the thing. I, and, and I was going like, you know, these people, and, and you think that all these people are miserable? They're not. That's all they know. And they have the tightest family structures you've ever seen, and they're together. They don't have anything that we consider essential. Nothing. So what it, what it meant for me when I did something like that and when I serve in some other ways and serve in third world countries or low-income communities, the thing is, it appeals to me because what it does, it makes me less selfish. It makes me focus on others more and me less. And that's, why, that's hugely important for us, folks. Hugely important for us. See, Paul talks about two paths in life that we can choose here in this passage. It just sums it all up. The first path begins with life and leads to death. It begins with what do I want to do and I pursue that, what would make me happy and I pursue that with all of my life. But that path, he says, leads to confusion, darkness, and death. And then he says the other path he talks about begins with death and leads to life. He says we need to put to death the old person, put to death all the things that come from the old you, and eventually you will find truth to find the truth, and the truth is a person, and you will, you will live, live, live a life that you've never experienced before because now it's not about you. 
Because your identity is now in Christ. It's more than just coming to church on Sundays. It's something that influences every decision you make in life. That's what Paul's talking about here. So, what's the next step for you? We talk about the great X all the time. Our purpose as a church is to help people take their next step towards God. And everybody has a next step. Everybody has. So what do you need to stop doing? What do you need to start doing? What do you need to add into your life? What do you need to get rid of in your life? For, so that you can not live like an ignorant Gentile, but live like a wise Christ follower. You know, if you keep letting Uncle Tony's leg hang around, it's not good. It's nasty. And it will not lead to anything good in your life. That's what Paul's saying. Let's pray. God, we thank you this morning for the opportunity of coming to you and worshiping you. We pray that you would just allow us this morning to not only hear the word, but be doers of the word as well. That, that we would examine our lives and ask the question, what is it that I need to get rid of in my life that it's still hanging around if we call ourselves Christ followers? Things from our old life that still is pulling us down and dragging us back into behaviors and thoughts that, that we shouldn't be doing and, and thinking. And we know it, God. We know it, but we just keep letting it come back in because we still got parts of our old life still hanging around. And God, also, I pray that you would help us to understand the things we need to add into our life, the things that are important. That being a, a person who's in Christ, as Paul's talking about in the, in the letter to the Ephesian church, it's, it's not just about showing up at church on Sundays. It's about having a relationship with you that influences every part of our life. And in doing so, God, it enriches every part of our life. And it gives us life and hope and a future, regardless of our circumstances. No matter where we've been, where we're going, the thing is, God, you being the, uh, our identity makes a difference. And it makes a difference not only in how we live life just on Sundays, but every day of the week. And so guide us now, God, that we would honor you and, and, and focus our attention upon you, that we would say, yes, I am a Christ follower, I am in Christ, and it means this. And it means something dramatic that's changed in us, God. Guide us now as we go our separate ways today that we would dishonor you with this week. Uh, we ask these things in Jesus' name.